Hello, I'm Rob Beckett. And I'm Josh Whittacombe. Welcome to Parents in Hell, the show in which Josh and I discuss what it's really like to be a parent, which I would say can be a little tricky. So, to make ourselves, and hopefully you, feel better about the trials and tribulations of modern day parenting, each week we'll be chatting to a famous parent about how they're coping. Or hopefully how they're not coping. And we'll also be hearing from you, the listener, with your tips, advice, and of course, tales of parenting woe. Because let's be honest, there are plenty of times when none of us know what we're doing. Hello, you're listening to Parent in Hell with... Sonny, say Rob Beckett. Rob Beckett. Sonny, say Josh Widdicombe. Spot on. Oh my word, that voice at the end was weird, wouldn't it? Spot on. Is that North East? All reach lads. Oh, got to be in it. Yeah. These are my girls, Rudy5, asking Sunny2 to say your names. I'm a postie, so I get a chance to listen to your podcast when I'm missioning about. That's it, really. Peace. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. It's got to be Snill Feast, isn't it? Are you allowed to listen to podcasts when you're a postmaning? The right mind's going. He's allowed to not deliver post as well. <laughs> There we go. To be fair, he's a good little postman. I just thought that'd be a funny joke. Yeah, it's a bit funny. That's the problem, isn't it? When you do this for a job, you say that as a little joke, but then next week you'll go, what'd you say about me? I'm like, oh, mate, I'm just trying to get something away. Yeah, come just on. Just got to try and be funny for 10 minutes. I trying to get something funny out of screw fix, and now look where we are. <laughs> right, Josh, there's a couple of things I wanted to run past you from go when on. we spoke on Tuesday. Right. So we are dads. This is a parenting podcast. Yeah. Is that the first one? Yeah, just confirming that. I'm doing the right one, aren't I? <laughs> right. Barbecues. Now, I want to talk to you about barbecuing. Yeah. It's, sort of, it's almost like a cliche yeah. that dads get into barbecuing yeah. and cooking meat and smoking and all that. In early February? No, no, not now, but like for the summer. But it's spring. So you've got to start thinking about, well, that's what I said. Have you got a barbecue? Do you really want one? Because I feel like I feel like I want a barbecue and I want to be a barbecuer, but I don't know if I really do. And it's like, is it that when you get old that you like it or do I just do it because that's what's expected of me? Does David Beckham cook that mushroom on? That <laughs> mushroom? <laughs> he might have been that, actually. <laughs> the way Beckham cooked that mushroom in his document. But it's like everyone my age does it. Yeah. And I feel like I should be doing it, but I don't even know if I want to be doing it or I can be bothered. Well, I think... They do it as an escape, don't they? It's the like, house, well, I'll go it? out there for two hours yeah. and get the barbecue ready. That's what I feel like I'm doing it for. It's difficult because I'm veggie, obviously, so it doesn't appeal as much. Yeah. But who are you envisaging coming round? No one, really. It's more for me. <laughs> so you can get ones that now, Rob, <laughs> yeah. that aren't like, I've got to go and get the charcoal going for two hours and like... Because that's the thing, I want a charcoal one because it tastes nicer in gas, but... Right, yeah. What are you suggesting a gas one? Well, I'm suggesting that if it's just for you, it feels mental for you to be getting the charcoal going, making yourself one burger and then being done. Lou would probably eat, but the girls wouldn't really. They'd rather me just put some sausages in the oven. Exactly, that's the problem. So what am I doing it for? Yeah. Because I think that'd be nice, wouldn't it? In the summer, cooking all that up. I think if you're going to have a barbecue, Rob, you're going to have people around that you don't want around. Yeah, then I'm cooking all day, aren't I? But then I can't just start doing like a brisket for me. But then you're cooking because you don't want to be talking to them. <laughs> the person who's doing the barbecue is the least sociable person. You're basically yes. styling being an introvert as being the life and soul of the party if you're on the barbecue. Yes. At the party, of course I was, mate. I was the blonde doing the bloody barbecue. But actually you're going, yeah, leave me in the fucking corner with these burgers. <laughs> And I'll tell you which are veggie and which are not when you walk over, and that's the only conversation I want to have all day. Yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll have a think about it. I don't know what I'm doing, but I just wanted your opinion on it. I think you should do it. It just feels like almost too on brand for me to get into it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a bit like, ah, oh, here it is. I love the pizza oven, though. I use that. Yeah, getting into it's weird, because I think people who get into it must have more time than me. When are they getting into it? So I think it's because most people work nine to five, so they know that they've got all day Sunday. Right, yeah, yeah. So if they go and grab it after work or on a Saturday, they know on Sunday they might take their kids to a bit of a, something in the morning. Yeah. Then all afternoon you can cook while the football's on. But you're at Radio 2. Yeah, exactly. So I'm at Radio 2, so I'm going to miss most of that. And then it's Saturdays, but then I am normally work Saturday, so I'm going to be cooking a brisket on my own on a Tuesday. <laughs> I don't even really want. What I don't want to do is be recording this in summer and hear you sizzling away. 
What's that? Sorry, one second. I'm, I'm a bit late. I'm just putting the charcoal on for a slow cook. <laughs> and then cleaning it as well. We need a small business shout out for somebody who cleans barbecues because there's just. And there's so much mess associated with it. And then there's a huge bowl of fucking salad that you're going to throw away. <laughs> yeah. You put it in the fridge and then the next morning, like, why did I put that back in the fridge? Yeah. Look at it. It's got dressing on. Cold slaw straight in the bin. No one wanted to no. cold slaw again. You make a solid point. But I think that's why people get into it is when they've got all weekend. Yeah. We work weekends, don't we? Look at David Beckham. What the fuck's he doing, really? He just sort of floats around like playing dress up, doesn't he? Like fancy yeah. dress is life. His little Miami suit when he's into Miami. Then he yeah. wears, like, looks like Sherlock Holmes walking a dog <laughs> and cooking a mushroom. He's <laughs> an absolute serial killer. If he weren't David Beckham and I went, what have you been up to? I sort of dress up Sherlock Holmes, go to a tent at the bottom of my garden and cook one mushroom. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I think I've got too much money. I don't know what I don't know what to do. So I just panic bought a mushroom. <laughs> anyway, I, I just thought I'd pick your brain about that. Oh, did I tell you about Lou? What Lou did on? I put it on my Instagram. I don't know if you saw that. Um, she woke me up at like seven in the morning. This was the first half half term. She woke me up at like seven in the morning. Went, oh, we need to get some fabric conditioner. I need to put a load of wash on today. So I'm going to go grab some quick from the shop. The shop's five minutes away from our house. Yeah. She drove in the car and on autopilot did the school run. <laughs> drove to the school just 20 minutes away without the kids no kids in the car they're oh in their beds God. on iPads basically she got to the school and was like I've gone the wrong way what am I doing because the shop was five minutes away then she carried her on going away from our house to a shop she remember going to when we lived at our old house oh my God. she was gone for an hour and a half Rob Lou's having an affair by the way <laughs> she's away she was exhausted when she got back <laughs> Rob what can I do I like your Instagram posts yeah I watch them by clicking through to you but Instagram has decided you are not one of my chosen people. Not at the top. However much I do this. You never come up. So you'll say, have you seen this on Instagram? Yours always comes up. Yeah. What are your top three ones on your... If you go to your Instagram now, what ones are you getting? I'm not going to tell you, Rob. Because <laughs> two of them are comedians that I think are really shit, so I watch all of their stories. <laughs> oh, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. That's a huge problem. But then if you just refresh, it always changes it anyway, doesn't it? Does it? Yeah, if you refresh it, it just brings up different ones. Right, do you want to do some um, correspondence? Should we do one bit of correspondence? Well, let's just do one little bit, because we get lots. Thanks so much for sending it in. We talk so much shit, though, we forget to do it, don't we? I know. Yeah, I'll just do the top one. Okay. Did Rob see the news that a famous TikTok celeb, Luke and Sassy Scott, called one of their new baby Beckett... Sorry. Did Rob see that... Did... <laughs> let's not do correspondence. <laughs> did Rob... <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Barrow. Do you know what's weird? I find reading out loud so hard. It's all it's weird. Did Rob see the news? A famous TikTok celeb, Luke and Sassy Scott. Do you know these? I don't know these. No, I don't know this. Called one of their new baby twins, Bobby Beckett. No. Bobby B O B B I Beckett. Must be super fans of the show from Anna. Oh, they must sound like they're American. Wow, Bobby Beckett. Luke and Sassy Scott. So is Beckett the middle name? No, it's a hyphen, so it's like Anne Marie. Beckett, it's Bobby Beckett, and then whatever the Sassy Scott, Luke and Sassy Scott, Melbourne brothers, Luke and Sassy Scott. Right, so they're a gay couple that have had twins, and they're from Melbourne. Wait, are they brothers? They can't be brothers. Look, I'm a very liberal man, but I cannot, I cannot say I'm okay with two brothers <laughs> being <laughs> in a relationship and having children. You've got to draw. <laughs> <laughs> you must draw the line somewhere. I don't want to be... <laughs> We've interviewed gay men that have had children through all different means, and I'm fully for it. Yeah. No problem with it whatsoever. However, two brothers, I can't abide it. No, they can't be brothers, can they? Are they just brothers that have had kids together? Oh, why does it say they're brothers? Why does it say they're brothers? <laughs> Rob, am I 500 years old? <laughs> also, I'm like, oh, part of me is trying to backtrack and go, yeah, it's probably okay, actually, for two brothers. To... It can't be. No, it can be if they're just bringing up two kids together. They're not in a couple. Right. Luke 32 and Scott 37 are part of a tight-knit family going about everyday lives. Luke is a radiographer at the Melbourne Hospital and Scott is a general manager at the Port Melbourne venue, the Timber. This says Melbourne Brothers on their Instagram. So they're brothers, they're not a couple. We can't do correspondence ever again. They are brothers, I think. <laughs> they can't have kids, can they? I don't understand anything. Look at Sessie's car, they're brothers. Do they have children? 
Are they still together? What's that mean? Are they still together? <laughs> this is incest. <laughs> now, I think, right, so I think they are brothers that do funny videos together. Right, thank the fucking Lord. I've worked this out. Right. Luke and Sassy Scott are brothers that do funny videos. Right. Sassy Scott has been trying to have children with his partner, Marcus. Thank God. (laughs) So Sassy Scott has got twins with his partner, Marcus, and one's called Bobby Beckett. His brother, who he works with, he's not in a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the end of the correspondence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> welcome yeah welcome sarah baron at one point i was just gonna say it's okay to have fuck your brother <laughs> but it's not is it it's their own i don't it's know their... anymore who am i to judge <laughs> i'll be on gb news trying to defend it i just don't think it's okay to fuck your brother <laughs> i've been dropped by sky <laughs> I've been cancelled. What did you say? I just didn't think it was okay. It's a fucking brother. Anyway, it's Sarah Barron. Jesus. It's hard, isn't it? It's 2024. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Sarah. We've all met before, actually, on Josh's show, Hypothetical. Years ago. Is that ago. the show we, yeah, we all did together? I mean, I feel like, you know, there's like you want openness, but then sometimes someone can take it to a too open level and it gets instantly cringeworthy. Yeah. But I felt that my and I've said this, I've certainly said this to James A. Caster. I don't know if I've said this to either of you. That was one of my waking nightmare professional moments was my oh, experience on hypothetical. And so <laughs> I feel so grateful to be here and traumatized to see both of your faces together again. <laughs> It was like the kind of thing that you'd have a nightmare about where you're on a panel show and you're like, what am I supposed to say? What? Oh, like, to yeah, say? like my buzzcocks. Like my buzzcocks. That your buzzcocks, Josh? That was my buzzcocks. Well, no, I, I'm not saying it was for you. Not from the outside. I texted Alex Horn, who toasted my buzzcocks disaster about six months ago about it, and he had no memory of it. It's only in your own head, mate. Yes. I'm shocked to hear that you didn't enjoy that and you didn't... I just felt, oh, he's really funny and just joined in and it was fine. And here you are now. Well, here I am now, I think is the thing. And for me, this is going to be, and I'll just lean into the Americanness here. This is going to be what we call an emotionally corrective experience. Brilliant. This is good. Yeah, so that I can start to feel excited by your faces together instead of like hearkening back to that 2019 crash and burn failure. It wasn't. I mean, everyone's got one of those. Everyone's got one. Our mom was what I lied to you. I had a nightmare on that. But it probably was fine, but I felt like it was awful. So why did you feel like that was awful, Sarah? What was going on? I mean, I don't know how inside baseball this will or won't get. So first of all, it was the two of you, (laughs) Obs, James, and Jonathan Ross and Maisie Adam. Yes. Good lineup, that, isn't it? Fucking hell. Great lineup. Good lineup. Don't get that on Dave anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No. Like, this is never the best way to start is by talking about what a piece of shit you are, unless maybe it's somehow charming. But I can remember being backstage and watching Maisie, who has come up and up and up since then, and watching her chat, like, do this sort of backstage Jonathan Ross chat. Yeah. And thinking, like... You know, they say what they always say before you do these things. It's like, it's like you're at a dinner party. Just have a good time. Then you're sat there as the newbie being like, that's Jonathan fucking Ross. Yeah. Okay. But just like, just be cool. Just be cool. And I'm much old. Like I started stand up late. So I'm older than everyone and everyone's younger. And and I thought like my outfit was bad. I thought like I looked like a middle-aged lady trying to look like 25. And there was Maisie and she was in like a perfect shirt and her awesome combat boots with her good hair. She was honestly talking to Jonathan Ross like she was just at a dinner party. Like yeah. it was so effortless. From then I was like, I'm on a downhill slope already. (laughs) And then I just got on and I don't, if I'm not mistaken, Josh, part of the way that you guys devised that show was you wanted to give your colleagues a way of being on TV without having to do any prep work, like just show up and we'll do this thing. And it's like a great format. And so everyone was like, this is the great thing about hypothetical. Like it's them. They're fun. They're not there to like edge you out. They don't want you to have to prep. And I'm like, please let me have some prep. Like, <laughs> please give me some work because I 
freeze and this is gross and it's status obsessed but that's part of my vibe like I do not do well when I'm afraid of people and it's not that I was afraid of you guys but I was like this is what they do it's what they do and it's not what I do and I just sat there I don't remember this at all really like my face was turning hot red it's what Maisie is born for Jonathan Ross is a king Rob Beckett's going 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 <laughs> I was just like <laughs> we weren't mean to you though were we Sarah no 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 first of all if you were mean to me I then no but it was like um and I don't want to it's not going to be interesting for your listeners to sit and have me just like compliment I you guys I think if I'm honest this is the best start we've ever had to an interview <laughs> yeah no. there was some other point, Rob, where I saw you and I like was just instantly like, oh, just like nausea because I associated it with this like sinking. And I will just say this and then we can close this down. But there was some point when I went out to dinner with James Acaster, like he'd come to a show that I did and then we went to get a bite afterwards. I was like, this is really nice because that was so humiliating. And he was like, here's what went wrong for you. And I was like, thank you. I felt like he was willing to acknowledge what had happened. It's not, I'm not acknowledging it. It's that I barely remember it, let alone Acaster giving you his points of view on where you went wrong. Yeah, who the fuck's he? I'm going to tell you where you went wrong. <laughs> fuck off, mate. Unless you're buying dinner, keep your mouth shut. That's what I'll say to It was from a place of kindness. Yeah, no, he's a good bloke. He hasn't bought dinner since off menu started in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Free desserts all round. So what did he say then? So, well, I, I, well, I've got no memory of that. And apologies, when you look at me, you feel nauseous. You may, I reckon you'll get along with so Lou. So did you consider not doing this? Not doing this? No, please. <laughs> come on. I sent in. I was like, can someone help me get on parenting hell? Please. No, 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 no. We've met. You guys are nice. I had a crash and burn. That's all. Well, I don't think but you did. But we're going to try <laughs> so hard to not crash and burn this time. You might have felt like that, but... When we're off air, I'll give you a list of people that have crashed and burned far worse than you did on Hypothetical. But I don't think that's for now. Even on this episode, what we've only been recording for about five minutes, I'd say it's been more entertaining and funnier than some guests' whole hour. You guys, you're so sweet. How many kids you got, Sarah? Let's get onto that. I have one son who is approaching his eighth birthday. Right. Okay. How is he? How is he? He is medium at the moment. <laughs> In what regard, medium? You know, they're really getting into that point when they're getting towards seven, eight. We're like, those personalities are really starting to come out. Yeah. And he is an eccentric Really? He's like a little professor. He's very into, um, and he goes to a state school, but it's a, a uniform-free state school, with, which British people have a real response to. But as an American, I didn't grow up with uniforms, so it's all very yeah. sort of comfortable for me. Oh, do you not have a uniform in America? No. And I have really mixed feelings. Of, well, actually, I say I have mixed feelings. I don't, I think like my friends whose kids go to regular state schools where they're in a uniform are like, oh, Oh, look at this little like uh, middle class setup where everyone's just in their regular clothes. And I'm like, you know, I think there's real positives to no uniforms and real positives to uniforms. Fine. Yeah. Normally, if you're from like a bit of a poor area, it's like really highlights if you're different. Do you know what I mean? If you've not got the newest trainers or the best brands and stuff like that. And then that takes a layer of awkwardness away. Because in America, I don't know if it's like that because it's optional. You can wear what you want. Obviously, it's compulsory to take a gun to school. Obviously, Um, I mean, right, right. The clothes, you can wear what you want. (laughs) Here's the thing, right? So I think theoretically, the uniform is great for the exact reasons that you're describing. Mm. Yeah. Again, and I've lived here for 11 years. I've chosen to make my home here. We have no intention of moving back. Why would I? But... I say is like the second Trump presidency looms. Yeah. But a thing I do find interesting is that like despite that sort of real effort to eliminate a sense of difference through clothing, yeah. mm. it is still true that the class difference stuff is so much more prevalent here than yeah. it is in the States, yeah. you know? Yeah. But you know, I suppose if it's an imperfect solution, it's still one to have. But it's still with uniforms. Like, there was kids at my school who didn't have much money. None of us really did. It wasn't sort of a very sort of rich area. But, like, there were kids that had blazers on that were eight sizes too big because that was going to see them through to year 10. Yeah. So they'd have, like, sleeves rolled up. Or in year 10, they'll have shorts that are off up their shin because they were too small or they were hand-me-downs and stuff like that. So it's still, you can still see. And there was a kid at my school who had tip on 
the penis bit of his trousers and it looked like semen and it was there every day because he only had one pair of trousers. Josh, I have no idea what semen you've seen, but I bet I've seen more than you and I don't think I've ever seen any semen that looks like Tippex. Oh, if you're at school and someone's got a white mark around their crotch, that's spunk, mate. You just got to go spunk on that one. You got to go spunk. Like like crispy and very clearly so white. No, we're not saying it actually is semen, but if you're 13 and you've got a white yeah. mark around your penis area. Yeah, you just got to go for spunk. It's an open goal. Okay, fine. I support that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the natural arc of conversation for me is always from spunk into my son. <laughs> and that's just the natural course that we should go. He loves suits. This is what I wanted to tell you about right. him. Is oh. He only feels like himself if he wears little suits. With a tie? Not always, but he hmm. will sometimes wear a tie. Like if it's a special occasion, he likes to put a bow tie on. Oh, incredible. And he likes to wear a top hat. Is your son Tom Allen? <laughs> yeah. I kind of think he is Tom Allen. Yeah. And funnily, he met Tom Allen when he was a little baby. And I feel like some bit of the essence, I should be so yeah. lucky, yeah. found its way into my little professor. Wow. I'm a seven and a half year old. So how does he get into suits? Like, what's the kind of... Just sort um... of legs in first and the jacket on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a jacket first. <laughs> That's such an interesting question. How did he... Because I was looking through, like, old photos of him, and, and when he was five, we were on some, like, family holiday when it was warm, and I was like, oh, right, he was still wearing, like, shorts and a T-shirt. Whereas now it would be like, Mom, any chance of a linen suit? Like, really? he's, like, wow. really... So in summer, he'd still wear, would he wear those, like, you know, the smart shorts that Tom Allen wears? He would like to. That would be, because, you know, like, I'm not going to spend that much money on him. My husband really likes spending money on him, and I hate spending money on him. If we spend that money on me, I will really enjoy it. (laughs) But if we get him, like, a 10-pound pair of shorts or a 30-pound pair of shorts... He doesn't know the difference, whereas I sort of do. And I resent like any, if any of his stuff were to possibly require, even so much as like a cold water wash, that would annoy me. Yeah. Also as well, designer stuff. You see people buying their kids, like people you normally, I sort of half judge, but they'll buy their kid like a Canada Goose coat that's like 600 pounds that will not fit him in a year. And I don't care how much money I'd ever earn. There is no way on earth I'm getting my kid a designer coat they're going to grow out of within a year. It's insane. Also, your income can be what your income is, but it doesn't have to visually present in a certain way, right? So it's like, I just don't like when anything says too much about you and any of those labels, especially on a child, it's like, it's just like throwing the money away. But that is the most noteworthy thing about him, I would say, at this stage. And does his personality fit the suit? So when he's wearing his suit, in his mind, is he a kind of, English gentleman of a bygone era or city trader? <laughs> great question. Really great good question, Josh. <laughs> and I think he is. But now, obviously, do you find like just that all the parents you talk to, like as the parent, you're simultaneously the one who knows the most. And then also you are straight up the person who knows the least about any possible answer you have surrounding <laughs> your own child. Because there's all the shit that we just want to believe to be true. So on the one hand, I would really like it if my son grew up to be like successful and make money. I mean, we can say we want him to be happy, but like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> but truthfully, as honest as I think I can be, I'm not getting a city trader vibe from him. Right. It's yeah. much more... I am from the Victorian period. Like, it, it really yeah, is yeah, yeah, more yeah. Tom Allen kind of, and he, he likes to feel fancy. I think he's maybe even said that sentence to me. Like, because I can feel really guilty sometimes because, like, he likes sometimes to wear a top hat, and that pushes it for me in terms of how much eccentricity I can manage. <laughs> you know? There's a lot of attention out in the shop, so... Lou doesn't like people looking or attention. So if she goes out with kids in top hats, she'd be like, oh, God, the people are looking now. That's exactly the whole thing. And, like, I like attention, like, if I get the attention. But, like, I don't want anyone else in my family getting it. And it can be so – it just – it says so 
much. And it's like you get a lot of looks. And he's got this huge head of curls. So it's this huge head of curls. And he's very into like period dressing, not period like Victorian era, but like before we started recording, we were talking about Josh's affection for the Beatles, which my husband has. He's passed that on to my son. So he will often be like, is this like a 1967 look? And I'm like, Uh-huh. I know it's cute, but this is what I'm saying. 1967 is kind of cute, mm. but top of the morning to you, top hat is yeah. like getting yeah, yeah. a little too much information. And we want our children to express themselves. Yeah. But you're like, but not at fucking my expense here, buddy. Like, <laughs> not past a point. Also, there's, there's a difference between wearing like slightly off center clothes, like, you know, a 60s suit or whatever. But if he's wandering around actually playing a character all the time, it's sort of like, where's the line between engaging with society and his classmates and everyone and then also just performing at people, essentially? It's sort of a bit of a weird grey area, isn't it? Yes. And I think, you know, it's mostly the top hat doesn't come out, but we <laughs> went to the London Bridge experience. Like, we were, like, trying to find a nice thing to do because it's half term when we're not going away. And so we felt like, let's do a nice thing. Like, he wanted the top hat as part of the... But otherwise, it's mostly not a a top hat day and I breathe a sigh of relief, which I feel shitty about. What about his friends? Is he... Josh, why don't you just say, does your son have friends? Like, why don't you just ask it the way you want to ask it, buddy? Yes, he does. And what is really lovely is he's friends with the other, like... But what I mean is, are they just wearing t-shirt and trousers and do they go there's that guy in the top hat or does it like come up? So let me be real clear about the top hat. The top hat appears twice a month. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm giving it to you as an anecdote because I want to entertain the masses. But it's not a... No, no, no. It's not the fixture. So he has this little group of friends. They're all the other nerds. Yeah, yeah. Which we're really comfortable with as a family because that's very much the identity that my husband and I grew up with. Yeah. But to your question, no. One of them is like a great dresser. You know, he's just in like bright colors. The other couple are like very, very normal dressing, but all of them are like the nerdy boys who aren't into football. Yeah. yeah. Cause what eight year old boys into football. It's like a cult. It's the full kit football at the weekends, football in the weeks. And it's like, it obsesses them. Like I was one of those kids growing up and you see them at the school gates. They're just, and if you're not into football, it's impenetrable Yeah, for a boy, you know, like to get into that world. Well, it's interesting. My father is like a guy who maybe would watch a U.S. Super Bowl, maybe. But otherwise, a sporting event was never on in our house. I have wound up married to someone who I would say feels antagonized by sport. Like my dad (laughs) just didn't care. My husband feels it's like a personal attack on him. (laughs) Whereas I kind of feel like I'm not I'm not into it. And I really feel sad that I'm not into it because what I have gleaned from most of the world who loves sport is it gives you shape. That's what you want in your life. You want some shape. You want things to look forward to. You want like marks in the calendar. And you don't have that when you're not into sport. So I do kind of wish my son was into it. But like, then he'll say like, why am I not into football? And I'm like, because dad and I don't. (laughs) <laughs> about it but i don't think it's bad i just don't no. care my dad didn't like football at all it's probably same way as um your dad he doesn't wasn't didn't get angry by it but just wouldn't watch it at all it was never on in the house my mum never really liked football but us boys just got into football we're obsessed by football and then my mum used to watch like soccer am when we weren't even living there anymore because it reminded her of one well, no, of the boys are at home that's what you put on on a saturday so it's like yeah, my dad was never into it, but we all properly got into football. But South East London is obsessed with football. I don't know where you guys in London. Yes, we're northeast. That's an interesting thing as well. It's like the way that the community raises you alongside your parents, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. So if you're surrounded by it at school, that's all we did was play football. It was just like, and even in PE, they stopped doing rugby and cricket because no one, Bob, everyone would just start kicking it. <laughs> <laughs> so you have no interest in those other sports. It was just football for just you. Just football and boxing. Those two are my my main ones. But then I watch a bit of basketball and I'll, I'll watch like the Olympics and stuff like that. But yeah, cricket and rugby, nothing really. They were seen as posh sports. That ain't for us. Uh-huh, so that's uh-huh. for someone else. We have football and boxing and maybe the Olympics when it's on. But that's it. I have always felt like 
if I may, a controversial opinion, but I'm saying this to you so that you can explain to me what I'm getting wrong. Go for it. I feel like people who like boxing, and I understand there's an art to it, or whatever. I feel like because to me, it just reads is watching people violently hurt each other. Yeah. If you are able to actively watch boxing, you are the people who would have like shown up to a public stoning. Like, yeah, I you think are, I there is something in you, Rob, <laughs> where you're capable of watching extreme physical violence befall someone. And explain to me how this is entertainment. I don't understand. So I think it's entertainment. It's a working class sport because I think what it is, is it's like, if you try hard enough and you put as much effort in and you're brave, you can escape your situation. And it's the most sort of tangible way to get out of not having money. It's an escape from that background of no money and no opportunity. And being able to watch someone go and do that is inspiring because you're like, oh, they are, not only are they taking a chance, like all by starting a business, they're like putting their like life on the line to create something for themselves, which I find quite inspiring and it's a one-man band quite thing so i think that that's what it is but as well i think and this maybe it might be a bit too dark maybe a bit too deep maybe too open i think people from certain backgrounds that are maybe surrounded by violence or the threat of violence or of feeling a bit vulnerable which is what people from those kind of low income or working class backgrounds are surrounded by you sort of watch it going oh at least it ain't me <laughs> and that's a relief so in other words you're not weird because you like it. I'm a middle-class bitch. No, no, that's... I, I, I totally understand why people don't like it. But that's sort of what you think that's is, what, is what takes what it someone is, what down the path of getting into it. And also it's kind of the thing where, like, a lot of the people in it are working class from those backgrounds. Do you ever so get any middle-class boxers? Not really. It's all normally from tough backgrounds. And then what happens is all their friends and family support them and buy tickets. So everyone sort of half knows a boxer. Like my uncle was a boxer. Everyone's got someone, either a cousin or a friend or someone that did boxing and you'd go and watch them fight. And then it might be a friend of a friend and you go, oh, I'll go with you to watch them. So it's sort yeah. of like the same way as, you know, you might have friends that have written a play and you'll go and watch that play. Well, it's like when those boxers become... They're real folk... Uh, I mean, it's a weird phrasing, but they're folk heroes of the place they're from. They really represent their community, like Barry McGuigan when he was... Like Ricky Hatton. Yeah, Ricky Hatton from Manchester. He was Manchester, but it was in a small town near Hyde, I think it is. Was like, he was going to Vegas to fight Floyd Mayweather. But it's a bit like what Oasis did for those kind of people. It's like, oh, you can be this, but be mega. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of these boxers would quite like to start their own business and become super successful entrepreneurs, but that's not really going to happen. Because it's too much stuff going on. But if you're stood in a ring, there's only one bloke in front of you. That is a much easier and tangible way to be a success. Which is why I think a lot of comedy is quite good for that. Because it don't matter where you're from. If you get laughs, you get laughs. If you don't, you don't. Yeah. yeah. Whereas other stuff's harder to and get And that one-man band quality up to it as well. Yeah, because like, yeah. you can't just imagine like, Joe, you know I'm going to start a bank. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's easier to fight that bloke and keep beating people. I think sport is a weird thing, and especially football as well, that becomes quite tribal and stuff. But but if you're not into it, you're not into it, I think. But then Tom Allen grew up in a very similar background and area as me. His dad was a coach driver and all the, you know, his brother sounds like me, dresses like me and walks on, talks like me. But Tom's just his own entity and, I've, and it's amazing. I've got my mate up in Yorkshire as well, his son. Sounds a lot like your son. He he wears a lot of flat caps and dresses in. Oh, yeah. And he wears like sort of old trousers and stuff like that and old suit jackets. And he keeps drawing pubs and creating little old sort of stout beers. And he's obsessed <laughs> with it. And he's like been reading Tom Allen's book to him because, again, he's like from a like place in Yorkshire where everyone's like very like geezery and into sport and stuff like that. So I think you do get those sort of eccentrics from all walks of life. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like, I, re I can remember when my son was born, you know, like a teeny tiny baby and like one morning and we're both sort of like looking at him on the changing table and whatever. And my, I remember my husband being like, who is he though? Yeah. Like, yeah. who, who is he? And now he's like, <laughs> this big head of his life. I'm like, that's who he is. That's <laughs> who he is. I don't know if you guys have had this with your kids, but it, I already feel like... And I felt this way about him for a while. Like, it's just clear. It is already clear to me who the 20-year-old will be. Yes. Well, write it in an envelope, seal it. I know. 
and see what happens. I open it on his 18th birthday. What do you think he's going to be? Here's what I predicted. You've disappointed me. (laughs) But I just, I'd be surprised if at 18 he was like a lad. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Who yeah, knows? So you, you and your husband are very sort of creative and like centric people, really, aren't you? If you compare yourself to most people in the country, so it, there'll be a bit of that. That's what you know. You guys made yeah, it. Yeah, I guess I really like. If there is a wish I have for my son, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this yourselves for your children, but like, if I have a wish for my child, these are my rules for him, right? Yeah. In terms of, because he'll be like, Mom, am I allowed to do this? Can I do this? I'm going to go up to, this will be my hobby. This will be my job. This will be my hobby. This will be my job. And my thing is, rules are, you can't take your body too high up. Like, so no <laughs> outer space exploration. Fair Where enough. are you drawing the line? I would almost say not allowed to be a pilot. I would almost say, <laughs> even though like plane crashes are done, but I'm like, no, nothing. Bungee just- jumper? No, you don't leave the earth. Scaffolder? No. (laughs) Nothing high up. (laughs) Nothing high up, nothing deep down. We're not going down. And also, third rule, no agent. You're not allowed to have a job that requires you to have an agent. (laughs) That's the other thing. So no showbiz. I just feel like, and I find it very interesting with very successful people because you have had one experience of what pursuing a passion is about, right? So, yeah. like, you can't shake out of your body the idea that, like, you can have a dream and you can chase that dream and that can happen. And then your child is growing up being like, no, no, I, I can chase a dream and it can happen. And to be like, maybe not the way that daddy did it. <laughs> and I just feel like my wish for him is that he has... A nine to five job, like a regular <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah. job, you know, and my husband will be like, I think I could get us like he knows Davina. We know Davina McCall's hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And so my husband was like, we could get tickets to go see Masked Singer. And I was like, yeah. Over my dead fucking body is that child allowed in a studio like that. He's going to get ideas in his head. And the next thing I know, he's going to be thinking and then we're going to be supporting him until he's 40. Because I I just it's not even about it's just like. Yeah, but does he like the Masked Singer? Loves it. Just take him. He don't, take he, him to the mask singer. You guys, I just don't want him to feel that these jobs are viable. <laughs> I, I just don't want him. Take him to when Alex Brooker's being revealed and you'll go, look, you can't do this unless you've only got one leg. And by the way, guess who he's rooting for? Alex Brooker. So can you imagine? <laughs> I love the way we're just referring to as Alex Brooker now, not Bigfoot yeah. as well. It's so obvious. <laughs> What a show, what a format. Oh, it's so good. Why do you think that everyone's so sure it's Alex Brooker? You tell me, Josh. I'm not answering that question. You tell but me. But he's denied it. But he's under contract to deny it. He legally cannot confirm it. What I love is like when it, it just everyone knows it somewhat and we all have to sort of like do this little show. What, what, what a fantastic piece of TV. Do you know Joel? Joel could sort you out for tickets. She's already gotten in with McCall's hairdresser. She's fine for tickets. She's just, you've not got the will. Can to I just ha- say, if they do sort ticket, can I just say, as an aside, if they do sort tickets, you are exactly the person I end up getting caught with in the green room where I'm like, I go for a drink after the last leg and I go, oh, so how come you're here? And they go, I know Adam's hairdresser. And I think, I don't think you should be here, mate. Yeah. That's too big a jump for you to be in the green room talking to me at this moment. You're so starry, Josh. I'm just trying to read from my book to one of the producers, actually, if you give me a minute. <laughs> Look, Rob, come on. <laughs> I know Davina McCall's hairdresser before you know it. You're getting your son having a photo with Mo Gilligan. He wants to go home. They do make you leave, though, before the unveiling. That's the problem with the master. Do they? Yeah, because everyone would know it was Alex Brooker then, wouldn't they? They'd all tell everyone. It'd ruin the surprise. Yeah, I presume they'd all have to be NDA'd up. No. So that reveal is done in an empty room. Yeah. So when Tiffany sung, I think we'll be, I'm alone now. She's doing it empty. Just to Jonathan Ross. Just to Jonathan Ross and Mo Gilligan, Davina McCormry, Aurora. <laughs> Sometimes Peter Crouch. <laughs> but Sarah, going back to that. So obviously he's up really into it and would love to see it. You, you would really not want him to be in that sort of world, even though it feels like that's the kind of thing. He's going to end up doing something like that that's quite expressive and creative. I hope not, man. I really hope he doesn't do anything expressive and creative. (laughs) He's doing it already. He's wearing a top hat twice a month. 
I know. So what is it though? What drilling down? What is it that worries you about that? Is it that there's not financial security? Is it your own things that have happened to you? I mean, I'm trying to think about how to talk about this. Well, I mean, you know, maybe it can feel depressing. Maybe it's fine to feel it's depressing. Fine. This, after your podcast is feeling depressing. So, <laughs> my grandmother's dying words to me. Okay, here we go. Maybe not this depressing. <laughs> she was 99, and I didn't like her. I was so happy when my grandmother died. Let me be clear about yeah. that. RIP to anyone's grandma who loved them. But when people's grandparents die in their 80s or 90s and they're upset, I'm like, pull it the fuck together. Come on. <laughs> their time has come. Like, just move on now. Anyway. You don't say that in the eulogy, though, do you? We didn't have a eulogy. She was so old and she was so not beloved, Rob. It was like, there was no eulogy. It was just like, get her in the ground, call it a day. Yeah, you don't even have to bury them. They're so old and frail. They just float off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Go on, Sarah. Your man's dying words. Her nine words were like something like, you just just kind of try different things. And I was like, that's true. Like, in other words, her assessment of my life at the age yeah. of 40, I'm now 44, was like that I had sort of spent from 20 to 40. Trying to find something that works for you. Yeah. And that is brutal and I'm not sure it's wrong like I started stand up at 35 like I'd always wanted it was like the thing I'd wanted to do when I was 22 yeah and I tried it and I wasn't good and it would give me such horrible anxiety and then when I when I was 35 I'd moved here and my husband was very encouraging and and then like something really clicked at 35 but I just feel like and I don't know if this is true for you guys or not, but I, you know, comedians really, what do we do? We are drawn to each other, I think, right? So mm. I know so many stand ups where all of their closest friends are also stand ups. Yeah. And I've always felt like I've had a foot in both worlds. So I have some close friends who are stand ups and I'm with stand ups all the time because that's who you see at your gigs. But my best friends have always been teachers. <laughs> and yeah. I really know a lot of people who kind of wanted to maybe do something creative and they called it at a certain age. They were like, this is not going to happen. And they got, quote unquote, a real job. Yeah. And then I know people who have like succeeded fabulously in their creative profession. And I know people who are sort of like chugging along without kind of having had a break yet and wondering what it's going to look like. Like, am I going to be 50 and still like doing I just think I've yeah. seen all the different ways of doing it and I think it's a a really really hard thing to want to do a creative job and I think when it comes from something that's just within you that's one thing but when it comes from like well, you saw your parents do it, so maybe it's a viable option. That's like a slightly different... I think anything with freelance, whether it is creative or even just if you're like a plumber, the pressure's on. You don't never know what's going to happen. There's no security, really, of a job. But you feel like if you and your husband are doing this where you're jumping between different creative projects, your son will think, oh, that's a viable option, but you don't think it's an enjoyable option. But th there's another side of it, which is you can see the brutal experience of it because you've lived it. And obviously, everything feels easier from the outside. And I used to, when I was really stressed about my job and stuff, I'd always think, maybe I'll just fuck off and I'll open a shop in a village or something. <laughs> it would always be, I'll open a shop. That's what I'd always think. Yeah. And then I speak to people I know that own shops and they're fucking stressed, man. Yeah. They're always going on about the rent or yeah. how Christmas wasn't as good as last time or another shop's moved to the area that sells the same stuff. Or I know people that work in big companies and they're worried about... About redundancies. Redundancies. And, yeah. and so, like, we can see all this fucking difficulty in our job. The other one I'd always think about, and this is really prevalent to you because of what your husband does... Is I'd often think, maybe I'll just get a job doing drive time on Magic FM, and I'd really enjoy that. And then you speak to people that work at commercial radio stations, and they're like, a new controller's come in. What if I lose my job? Oh, my God, I'm only on a year-to-year -year contract. And you know what I will say about that as well? Like, Because that is what he did for a long time before a pivot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, as stand-ups, we can always 
find a place to peddle our wares. Totally. You're not reliant on other people. And here's this grim sort of positive that I'm going to take from this, because I think what I'm saying is like, I don't know. I I just I think I'm really childlike in as much as I just want to believe that your job can bring you joy. Yeah. yeah. I really yeah. want to think that that's true. You've got to give up on that, Sarah. You've got to give up on that. I do, though, don't I? There's not a magic job out there that everyone loves every second. Look at a footballer. Everyone wants to be a footballer. Marcus Rashford's on the piss in Belfast. He's supposed to be training. Do you know what I mean? Like You're a footballer and a new manager comes in and suddenly you're inexplicably dropped from the first team. Or you get an injury. Yeah, you get an injury and suddenly you're Brian Clough, who was the best striker in Britain and he... Fucked his knee up at 28 and it was all over. Admittedly, he won a lot of European Cups as an alcoholic, but, you know, there's wins and losses. But, yeah. I remember very clearly right before the pandemic hit. So my son at that point was like two or three, something like that. And I'm never around for bedtimes because I would always be out. Yeah. And your friend, Ramesh Ranganathan, it was when he was doing that column in the back of The Guardian. He'd written oh, yeah. something. and Another I jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he needs uh, another 500 words to bang out. Have a day off, mate. Another quid at the end of it. I didn't want to say it, but as the close friend, you can say it. But you, you can make fun. But he wrote this thing that really fucking wedged in there. Yeah. It's something about this idea that, like, by the time your child reaches the age of 10, you will have spent 90% of the time that you will spend with them across their lifetime. Unless you're doing Weakest Link. Was he speaking as Romesh or as a normal parent? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I've it seen that story before. Like Sorry. Yeah. Someone gave me these facts just to give yeah, you guys yeah. the opportunity to roast yeah. your friends. Yes. <laughs> so when they're 10, you've spent 90% of the time. That's fucking weird and scary. Exactly. I mean, I've got a lot of these very depressing facts I can pull out of my back pocket. That's amazing. And again, I'm not sure that's exactly what it was, but it was in that family of whatever. And I was doing tour support. I was in the backseat. I was like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to... Like, I was like, I'm going to start crying. That's so sad. Oh, you're on your way to work as well. I think it was doing tour support for Nish or something, and they're talking about whatever, like, depressing political thing he's talking about. And I'm, like, trying to suppress (laughs) tears in the backseat, having read this fact. (laughs) Then the pandemic hit and I was like around oh, for every yeah. fucking bedtime yeah. and I wanted to put a bullet through my brain. <laughs> and I thought like, I'm not being particularly articulate, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I would look at someone whose career as a standup is at a certain level and think like, God, that's, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God, all I would need to be happy. I really believe this. All yeah. I need to be happy is to reach this level yeah. as a comic where I could make this amount of money and tour to this size of an audience. And then I will really be happy. And then I will really be happy. And then it's like, nah, because there is just always some kind of trade. Like yeah. you're working at this level, but then you're going to be missing this thing. Well, you're l- working at this level, but then you have financial instability. And we're all just miserable <laughs> in all of our jobs. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. what I would want to say to anyone is like, everyone is unhappy with what they've been given. Everyone. Yeah. And there is freedom in that. So for your son, he might as well be unhappy being creative. They're unhappy doing finance. I'm not joking. <laughs> everyone's got the up. I feel that this conversation has made me understand that he will be unsatisfied no matter what he does. Exactly. And I need to lean into that. Yeah. I just need to yeah. lean into it. But you, as a parent, you want them to have zero problems, be happy, have friends, earn money, express themselves, be creative. It ain't going to happen. And also, more no. importantly, it's not your responsibility. They're going to be adults and it's on them. There's nothing you can do oh, to do God. that. And as they grow up and they're having arguments at school, this is what the pain is of being a parent. You can't go in and have that argument with a school kid. You've just got to help them through it and then trust that they go and do it because it's their life that they're leading. And that's the hardest bit. So it's like, well, it's like life, the Buddhist thing, life is dukkha, life is suffering. But it's accepting that and realising you're not going to be happy all the time. But also, it's not your responsibility at that point. And Rob, I've been leaning into happiness podcasts in 2024. I'm like listening to some happiness podcasts and we have an obsession, you guys, with finding meaning in suffering. And sometimes you have to accept that it is just the suffering. And that is how I am heading into 2024. Okay. (laughs) That it is meaningless suffering and we make peace with it. And no yeah. one else is that happy. 
No. But there'll be moments of happiness, moments of being quite content, moments of being grief-stricken. Do you know, I was thinking this about my neck. So, yeah, I yeah, can't. Let's talk about your neck for a minute. Sarah was just about to make a big point. I thought about all the podcasts. No, no, no I want to hear about this neck. Let Sarah come back round to this after his neck. Oh, come on. Listen, you just turned forty, or you're forty now, right, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I lean in, and Rob, this shit is coming for you. So tell the next story because no, this is important. Well, I've had a bad neck for six months, and it's got incrementally You've had it for four better. years. Yeah, no, yeah, but it's months. been on and off. But I haven't been able to shift it for six months. <laughs> but it's got incrementally better. Look at that, right? I couldn't do that. But it's still one of the <laughs> bits is long. He just looked up and down and to the side. <laughs> He's showing us his neck mobility. Wow, show us again. What was that? <laughs> Fucking hell. I show us me... your big thing. Show us your big... Tr- oh, Look whoa, at that whoa. big boy. Look at that big boy. <laughs> oh, you're going to be playing one the bobbing up all day. Grass <laughs> ceiling to the floor, window to the door. But that's a problem, right? Okay, yeah, so when you've got to look judgmental at someone, you struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway... It's almost better. And I found myself walking on the street thinking, I've dealt with my anxiety. I've got on top of that. Yeah. I've got on top of my drinking. I've got on top of this. As soon as I've got my neck done, then I can be happy. And I thought, that is insanity right yes. there. <laughs> and I just caught myself and I was like, you can't be waiting for this moment when everything falls into place because there's always going to be something that's an issue. And I was just looking at people going... All these people walking around me here in Victoria Park, which is a nice place, a lot of them should be happy, they're all going to have a relative that's ill or a worry about financial security or a lump on their testicle they're worried about or whatever, right? Weird option. Number three, I panicked. Just could have said a lump. I could have just said a lump. I could have just said... The comic mind wants specificity (laughs) and wants to paint a picture for his audience. That's genuinely true. That's why I said testicle. Listen, this is the point that we are in. I mean, this is a very personal question for both of you. I haven't got a lump on my testicle. No lumps. And Rob, lump on the testicle? Not checked for a couple of weeks. Could check now, but should I just say, assume it's fine? Get back in there. (laughs) Are you gentlemen... And your wives, mm. are you done having kids? Do you yes. think? Uh, yes. Yeah. I think this thing happens to people when it's like they know they're done. And it's like, here's the truth, guys. The good shit now is over. Because there are all these questions that we get to have in our 20s and maybe your 30s. Right? Like, will I have a kid? Will I have another kid? Who's my partner going to be? What professional high am I going to We know the answers to the questions now. And now the shit that you wonder about is like, when will my parents die? Like that's, I'm not kidding. Like that is what steps in as the replacement question. And now as middle-aged people, I know you're not quite there yet, Rob. No, But it's like now your attempt at happiness isn't like imagining the next baby or whatever the fuck. It's like you look for a nice tree. (laughs) You're like, I'm walking... You know what? That's a nice tree. Put it on my gratitude And I'm going to be present in yeah. observing the beauty in the tree. Yeah. And that's all we have from now till death. <laughs> Don't you think it? Now it has to be about the small moments. And yeah. sometimes when people keep having kids and keep having kids and keep having yeah. kids, yeah. I'm like, oh, you can't now just look at a tree. Like, it's time for you. You had three. You're done. Look at a nice tree. But they can't. They need to keep pushing the narrative forward. So they're like, another kid, another kid. It's like, settle in. Yeah. Settle yeah. in, settle down. Oh, oh dear. my God. This has been one of my favorite. This has been great. It's been our deepest. We haven't talked about your podcast. They like to watch. We got to plug the pod, you guys. You I need plug some the pod. help. We need to plug. <laughs> Can we plug this pod Plug the hard? pod. Plug hard. So basically, my husband and I, we're both in similar fields. I'm just going to say on this, because you've been so good on this, the plug... And we were talking about this on the last podcast. Going on something and being good is kind of the plug in itself. Do you know what I mean? Let me tell you something. The fact that you understand that. Genuinely, I think a lot of people don't understand that thing. And that concept would have made you very good on drive time radio. (laughs) We talk about this all the time. Like when you are someone who has guests on, it's not about going, Rob Beckett's new project. Let's talk about the project. Smart TV on Sky Max. Yeah. Let them shine. Have the PR. (laughs) Shut up. Who's going, you haven't mentioned that. Shut up. We'll do it in the intro. Let the star shine. But because you asked, my husband and I had always wanted to do something together. Yeah. But he is very obsessed with high quality formats. So anytime I'd be like, well, we could do a pie. And he'd be like, no, what is it about? 
What is it about? What are we talking about? You can't just do said with respect for everyone's choices. You can't just do a podcast about a marriage because there's not going to be enough like authentically interesting self-generating material there. So we were always trying to figure out what would it be? What would we talk about? What's the shape? And I was going to do a tour. And in the run up to that tour, without exaggeration, we got as obsessed with how we were going to coordinate watching Succession together, which we were very into at the time, as to managing like the childcare arrangements. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what if it's because that's a thing with couples. I don't know if you do yep. this with your wives, but we we are a couple who watches together. Yeah. It's a way of connecting. And so we wound up doing this sort of podcast about succession that went well enough. And that has now transformed into it's about the hunt for excellent television. So it's for you if you love television, but you're like so overfaced and you're like, I am a good, smart person with yeah. perfect taste. What is worth my time? And we do all the work. Hold for the you. front page. Robin yes. Romish versus Smart TV. The last leg. Do an episode of The Last Leg. These are the only programs that we ever talk about. <laughs> do you talk about The Masked Singer? You know what? We would maybe talk about The Masked Singer in, um, like, we talked about The Traders. Yeah. And we would yeah. talk about it, like, I think if we're talking about, um, we try to do as much listener interaction as we can. You know, we, we're trying to get like a, a conversation going. What are people watching? What I've got a 10 year old. What should I be watching with my 10 year This kind of stuff. Yeah. Can I give you a suggestion of something to watch? Have you seen? With your 10 year old, you can watch The Traders. Go on, Rob. Have you heard of Kin? It's an Irish drama about gangsters. There was a big hit in uh, Ireland and then the BBC. It's on iPlayer now. Series one's already out. Series two starting next week. Some really good actors in it. Littlefinger from Game of Thrones is in it. I forget what his name is. Um, I know who you mean. That guy. Yes, that guy. but he's brilliant. And that's quite good. But it's quite fast-paced, like gangster drama. Eight episodes in a series. See, this is what we do. We'd have Rob Beckett on. We'd talk. We'd get an insider take on something to do with television. Then Rob would recommend Kin. And then the next week, we'd watch Kin and be like, I want Rob Beckett to like me. But and it's called They Like to Watch. It's called They Like to Watch. So think about it like this. Television is the Trojan horse. And inside the horse is a marriage. Do you understand? Oh, yeah. Yes. Marital dynamics tucked into, please tell me what is worth my time watching on television. Yes, because time is, is at a premium. If You don't want a dud recommendation. Oh, my God. You've cleared the diary to start a series. You've been described as a sparky double act by the Financial Times. We are a sparky double act. <laughs> he brings the format and I bring my good personality. You know how like if you're going on a holiday. You're one of the five hottest new podcasting duos. Dude, we got silver at the British Podcast Awards. Oh, congratulations. We thought we should have got carry gold. On, carry on, carry on, I just found myself. I like stepped out of myself and heard myself explaining to you why we would have gotten gold. And then I thought, <laughs> we need to rain. Oh, no, tell us, because we'd like to get gold as well. What you yeah. got to do to get gold? You guys, we can't get gold because none of us here are doing anything important. Right, okay, so it's got right? yeah. Actually, I think we are. So you're going to lose to the important podcast. Oh, like, like if it's about a big issue. Big issue. We're right. funny. Yeah, it's not enough being funny. Not for a claim. It's enough for me, you guys. <laughs> I'm speaking to you both now, not your listeners, yeah. okay? I'm speaking to you and whoever okay. listeners want to listen in. You're going on a holiday. You're going to go somewhere lovely. You're successful people. You're going somewhere great. And you're yeah. thinking, we're going to hire a babysitter this one night, but we want to go to the perfect restaurant in this little European Amalfi Coast whatever. But where is exactly the place? Sure, Yelp is going to tell me this. Lonely Planet is going to, but where would actually be good? Then you want the travel website that would tell you where you want to go on the Amalfi Coast for dinner the one night that you're going to have dinner alone with your wife, right? Yes. Yeah. We are trying to be that website, but as a podcast for television. Right. There we go. Tony Romas, that's where I'd go. <laughs> that's why I was speaking to Josh. <laughs> as soon as you said Amalfi Coast, I was like, it's got Puglia written all over it. It's the other side. Some tenders in Orlando. The last question. <laughs> we always ask this question. Oh, and it's good because you're a Sparky Double Act. So this is a good... Sparky Double Sparky Act. Sparky Double Act. Yeah, and your, your husband, Jeff Lloyd, uh, DJ Jeff Lloyd, now podcaster. What is the one thing he does parenting-wise where you go, oh my God, he's amazing. I'm so lucky to have a child with him. And then what's the one thing he does where you go, that is really annoying and I wish you didn't do that. Stop it. No. What does he do? I hate saying this because it's so cheesy, but like... <laughs> 
he loves being with our son so much. Like nothing else in his life brings him the amount of joy. And I actually think that's kind of rare for a parent. Like my friends were arranging like a girl's dinner and everyone's like, make the dinner early so I can get out of bedtime. And my husband is that person who's like, get out of bedtime? It's my favorite (laughs) part of the day. Now, some of this is because of his underlying depression, but also it is just like (laughs) a lovely gift he gives our son. And then the thing that he does that we both are really, 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 really different about money. Like, I hate being generous. It makes me feel sick (laughs) spending money and being generous. I'm like the tightest bitch you've ever met. Yeah. You should hang out with Josh. (laughs) Oh, is Josh like that as well? No, not at all. You both seem like you'd be generous people, but not me. I had my husband, he said to convince me. Like I have said before, we were going to visit some friends and I was like, um, they had had a huge professional success and they were engaged to be married. I was like, we need to go over with a bottle of champagne, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're walking, we pass the liquor score, we go in. I didn't know how much champagne cost. I had no idea. So I'm always like buying Prosecco. I come out, I said to my husband, I can't do it. I can't physically spend 60 pounds on a bottle of wine. I will throw up. So you go do it to be nice because I know what I should do, but I can't do it. So the difficulty is he, I would say, and if he was on, he'd be like, uh, 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 uh. but I would say he nudges up his love language is let me give you things let me give you right. things and that is yeah. also his love language with his child and I don't love that what's your love language then to your husband and child if it's not gifts what would you say what if I don't have one like what if I <laughs> What's my love language? Oh, shit, Rob. What if my big takeaways from this podcast are that I am going to let my son have a creative job and I don't have a love language? Is it affection, cuddling and kissing, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I don't know. What's my... I'm here to get the job done. Admin. I think admin might be <laughs> yeah. my love language. Organizing is your love language. Oh, this is terrible. But yeah, I think organization is my yeah, love language. Yeah, but that's language. important, though, as much as it's not that like being on it so that everything runs smoothly and it's an enjoyable experience to do stuff. That is a, a way of showing love, isn't it? To get everything in order for people to enjoy themselves. Love it. Actually, my son said to me the other day, he's like, Mom, can we talk about the schedule? And I was like, that's my boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love just talking schedules and being like, and then on Wednesday. <laughs> that's so fun for me. <laughs> so thanks so much. Good luck with the podcast. Are you touring or doing any more stand-up? Or is it just podcasting up your folks in the moment? I'm not sure when this will come out, but I will be up in Edinburgh this summer at 4.45 every day. And I've got a podcast that drops every Tuesday. And those are her big projects and products. <laughs> and why would they follow you on social media? This is the worst handle of all time. And let's just skate on past that. What is it, Adolf Hitler? Yeah, it's Adolf Hitler, <laughs> 2,470. <laughs> it's Sarah, spelled Sarah, Baron, one million, everywhere. Pardon? At Sarah Baron, one million. Oh, not everywhere as well. No, no, no. I'm just saying that's where right. I, you see how I always oh, fuck okay. up my handle. This is the only reason my followers are so low. So Sarah Baron. S-A-R-A Baron. No H. No H on the Sarah, one million at the end. How many R's in Baron? Two R's. B-A-R, and a million, is that written as one million or is it digits of one, zero, 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 zero? It's digits. I'm <laughs> such a nice lady. If anyone would put in the effort, I'm such a nice lady. Sarah Baron, no H, two R's, and the number one and six zeros. <laughs> You're a PR marketing machine. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> oh, please come find me, everyone. I need did, How help. Did you start on Sarah Baron 1 and that was taken? Then you did 2. Then you did 3. Know, and then you Rob, did... I don't even know. And my email address, if I gave you my email, you'd be like, you need to talk to somebody. What like, you it? need to have a word. I've checked your follow on Instagram. I didn't know I wasn't following you. Couldn't find you. I'm following Sarah Baron, uh, 999,999. <laughs> so, uh, I'm working my way there. Uh, cheers, Sarah. Good luck with the show. 
And sorry we made you feel sick on hypothetical. And this was, yeah, it was the corrective emotional experience. Do you feel like you, you've recovered now from, have we done a bit of therapy and put that to bed? You had a good time. By the way, I was doing, there was never any, you were both always so sweet. I just always felt, you know, if you have a one person, you always have bad gigs in front of them. That's how I felt. It was like, why did I have to have a bad gig in front of Joshua to come and rob Beckett? So yeah. felt much better. I can't listen to Bananarama because they spoke about that and wouldn't lie to you for ages. So I know how you feel. But we've corrected it. <laughs> exactly. Cheers, Sarah. I'll see you guys around. Thank you so much Cheers, again for having mate. me. Cheers, bye. Sarah Barron. Oh, Sarah Barron. I felt bad about hypothetical. Yeah, not as bad as I felt. It's your show, isn't it? You should put yeah. your guests at ease. And then James A. Caster got all the love for talking to her about it and you just moseyed off, not caring. Oh, God. Oh, well. Pretty worried about your neck, weren't you? Yeah. Can't sort that out until I've sorted this out. Yeah. What are you Googling? I can see it in your glasses as well, you little Google goggle monster. I started reading about her podcast. All oh, right, okay. While we're doing the outro on ours. Because when I Googled her podcast, I bloody loads of things came up. And then before I knew it, I clicked on an article with an interview with her. I mean, it's literally finished an interview with her and I'm reading an interview with her. What am I doing with my life? Let's come back on Tuesday. Right, see you on Tuesday. Bye. Bye. 